Let's start in Psalm 2. Psalm 2, as we look again at John 17. Yes, we're starting at Psalm 2, and it's about John 17. There is much more that could be said about John 17, verses 20 through 24. There were two lessons there. Verses 21 through 23 were the prayer request of the Lord Jesus for unity in the divine love of the Father for him and for them. The second prayer request that Jesus had was for them to be in heaven with him. But the glory that God had given Jesus already and the glory that God was going to give Jesus after his ascension is glory that Jesus gave us, them, then, when he was alive on earth, and we will have more of that in the days to come when the children of God are manifested to the universe. God loves his son. If you love his son, God loves you for that love of son. Right. You say, where's that in the Bible? That was John 14. If ye love me, my father will love you and will come and manifest himself to you right. because God loves his son. The drama of this universe is built around a father and son, and it's God and Jesus Christ. It's over and over. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you love me, you love the father. If you obey me, you're obeying the father. You disregard me, you're disregarding the father. Is that all the way through the gospel of John? All the way through the gospel of John. Psalm 2, verse 6. You know what comes in verses 1 through 5? The heathen and the people of the Jews united themselves together against Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Verses 1 through 5, they united against Jesus. Verse 6, yet, in spite of them, but, in spite of them, contrary to their intentions and conspiracy, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree... The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And then it goes on to tell the kings of this earth that instead of conspiring against the Lord, they should kiss the Son. Now, we're believers. Let's kiss the Son. Let's love the Lord Jesus Christ and revel in Him, as Adam prayed this morning. Yes, brother. Let's revel in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we revel in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're reveling in God because God has chosen to manifest Himself and reveal Himself through His Son. Right. Jesus and His Father leveled the city of Jerusalem. They ate their young in the siege. It was terrible. 1.1 million died. The blood flowed in the streets like a river. There were no trees around for many miles in all directions because the Romans crucified so many Jews around the city of Jerusalem for everyone in it looking out to see what was out there and what was coming for all of them. Their own crucifixions. I think that is poetic, perfect, precious personal justice for what they did to him. You know what the Bible says? This city is going to be laid level with the ground because they knew not the time of their 
visitation. Somebody visited that city. Do you know who visited that city? The Son of God. And that city was leveled. That Son has visited us. Let's make sure we embrace Him. You know, I love those of you that tell me you're going to shove me aside when He stands here in front of us. If He shows up some Sunday, the Lord Jesus, He's here right now, but if He were to be here physically, you're going to shove me aside so that you can be at His feet because I'm going to be shoving you aside too. And it's a joyful thing to even think about. I love to pray holding on to two legs of a chair, two arms of a chair, as if it were the ankles of the Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't have any ankles, but my Savior does. And that's the Lord Jesus. I love this. This is just one of many passages that could be used to exalt our sonship. Come over now to 1 John chapter chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And then we'll get to John 17. We've got two verses there. Lord, help us to conclude your glorious prayer in a way that will be honoring to you. The Lord has shown us that salvation is a diamond. In a sense. It's got facets. The Lord has shown us that there's this wonderful use of 20 words in the New Testament to describe salvation. And that salvation can be described as justification, a legal term. I went over this last Sunday. It's just a great thing to think. The Lord wants us to see all the angles of how we're saved. Justification is legal. Redemption is economic. It's a financial term. You buy something back. Um, And then there's familial terms. like There's relational terms like reconciliation. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, And there's all these different terms used for us to appreciate salvation. But what is the greatest facet of our salvation? Adoption. It is not justification. Justification saves us from hell. Thank you, blessed God. But we know the Bible shows a great deal more than that. And that is to be adopted as his sons and daughters and given an inheritance and beneficiaries of his will. Joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ will inherit the universe with him and will be delighted in by him. Justification has no delight in it. There's no affection in justification. It's a legal term. We thank God for it, but adoption is greater. 1 John chapter 3, behold. What is that word there for? Take a look at this. Look at this. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. And so forth and so on it goes. I use verse 2 in the first service this morning. Verse 3 is very important. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. If we have this hope in us, we're going to show that we have a claim to that hope by purifying our lives to be like his. John 17. John 17. Yes, God has set his son upon his holy hill of Zion. And that is glory that God gave to Jesus, and Jesus has given it to us because we are the sons of God. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the gift of John 14 through 16. When Jesus sends him to you or to me, what does he cause us to say inside? Abba, Abba. Abba Father. It's about sonship. 
he bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. That's the spirit of Jesus Christ in us, giving us the glory that God gave him. That father-son, just can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you know it? Have you embraced it? That there's a God in heaven, and he formed a son in an incredibly unique way. That son, he's, he's going to let inherit the universe. There's only one thing accepted that is not under his feet, and that's God himself. Everything else he wants to convey by his covenant to his son. And when you mess with the son, you mess with the father. And if you mess with the father, you mess with the son because they love each other and they serve each other. And when they save us, we're part of the one big family. God's the father. The Lord Jesus Christ is the older brother that, he might, that we might be many brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ is why salvation exists in Romans chapter 8. And here we are. We come now to verse 25, the last two verses. Much more could be said about verses 20 through 24. I hope it was sufficient. Verse 24 is just fabulous. John 17, 24, Jesus praying for you with the greatest distraction a person has ever had. Jesus knew where that mob was in its formation and travels from Jerusalem to get to the Garden of Gethsemane. What a distraction. But he prayed that you would be in heaven with him. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. I not only want them to be unified on earth, but I want them in heaven with me. That they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. I want them to see my glory as their older brother. And we will. And if you read Revelation, you can see it. And if you read 1 Timothy 6, you see it. Somebody's going to be memorizing 1 Timothy 6 soon for Bible quizzing. And 1 Timothy 6 says that Jesus Christ is the blessed and only potentate. Amen. Uh, yes. And Hebrews 1. Yes, and other chapters in Hebrews. But Hebrews 1. He hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. He inherited a name. Some name was given to him in a different way, better way, more official way, more formal way, when he ascended up into heaven. Son. Oh, yes. Love him with me. Let's serve him together until he comes for us. And he's coming, and he's praying the Father that we'll be with him forever in heaven. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen and amen. And the prayer ends right there, these two verses. This is back to the apostles. This is back to the apostles, and there's two points. The first point is Jesus uh, in verse 25, praying for the apostles by the fact that Jesus had made, had made known the Father to them and that G, the Father should recognize that fact. I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. I've declared your word to them. That's how it was worded earlier. And they know that you sent me. And that means everything to the Father. That sounds 
Because we reduce the gospel sometimes to such simplicity, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God glorifies the Father. He wants us to know that he sent his Son into this world for us. And here it is worded again this way, I have known thee, O righteous Father. The world doesn't know you, but I know you. These 11 know that you sent me. These 11 see the things that the world doesn't see, and they give you honor by following me and embracing me as your son. And that's verse 25. And verse 26 is, I will continue to declare your name to them that they might know the love you have for me and that is the same love that you have for them as well. And so we have those two verses to close out our Lord's Prayer in John 17. O righteous Father, Jesus closed his prayer here in these two verses. This is different than verses 21 through 24. In verse 21 through 23, you can see request number one for us, the believers. In verse 24, you can see the request, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me. I want them to behold my glory. So there's a request. Uh, There isn't really a request in 25 or 26 because he's closing his way out. He started with the first five verses of John 17, and now he's closing the prayer. And he's reasoning with the Lord in it. O righteous Father, he reverted back to the apostles since they were the primary and needful object. And these precious and tender minutes with them end with his focus on them as they go into the garden of Gethsemane in chapter 18 and verse 1. As earlier in his prayer, there's no request but Jesus reasoning about them. He told the Father the eleven had believed he was God's Son on a divine mission. He promised to teach all the gospel to them for their benefit of God's love of them. And he would do this in person for 40 days after his resurrection, and he would do this by the Holy Spirit. If you'll remember, he said, All that I have, I have given to the Spirit to give to you. And so he, the Spirit was the teacher of Christ in them. And so he taught them personally, physically, present with them for 40 days, but then he taught them by the Spirit. Jesus hereby appealed to God's righteousness to hear his prayer and to answer it. O righteous Father. You know, we've had a holy Father, and we've had a holy Father in light of the fact that we're to be sanctified through your truth. Sanctified through truth is to be made holy. Here it's righteousness. And Jesus has already made his request. Three requests for the apostles, two requests for us, and now the prayer is, Father, O O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee. But let's just focus for a minute on righteous Father. There isn't a request in verse 25. Do you see that? There isn't a request in verse 26. I've declared your name, which is all the attributes and purpose and person of God to them so that they could know the love of God for him and for them. But there isn't a request. He's reasoning with the Lord as he closes out. He started with reasoning, and he's closing out with reasoning. And the reasoning in verse 25 starts with calling God righteous, because he's already given five prayer requests. But righteousness is what helps... Righteousness is one of the character traits or the attributes of God that causes him to answer prayer, especially by his son. Can you think of someone in the Bible that reasoned with the Lord in prayer and appealed to God's righteousness to get an answer? Did you say that? Beautiful. Yes. 
Abraham, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's reasoning with God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Let it be far from thee. Now that almost sounds sacrilegious to us to talk to God that way, but Abraham was called the friend of God, and he knew how to pray, and the Lord Jesus Christ is doing that. Oh, righteous Father, and appealing to him that way. How do you know that God forgives you when you confess your sins to him? Because he's faithful and just, which are two similar words or synonyms, especially in the case of just, for righteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's what the Lord Jesus is pursuing here. O righteous Father, just like Abraham, just like we read in 1 John by this same writer, the world hath not known thee. Father, you know the world hasn't known you. You preach a sermon to them every single day in every language and every dialect by the sun coming up, the sun going down, the moon and the stars. Psalm 19, 1 through 6. They are without excuse. Romans chapter 1. They've known the truth. They understood the truth, but they would not submit to the truth that there's a creator God. Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. Knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do them, but have pleasure in them that do them. That whole section there is they know God, but they have rejected him. The world hath not known thee. They've turned their back on the on the, the, the uh, basic knowledge, the germ knowledge of God that God gave them, and they rebel against it. They invent evolution to get rid of a creator. They invent situational ethics to get rid of Bible morality. They're constantly inventing, and so they harden their hearts, and they turn and worship the creature rather than the creator, so they won't have anyone telling them how they have to live. The world hasn't known you, but I've known you. I've known that you are my creator and never had a doubt. I've known that you are the director of my life and I ought to keep all of your commandments and I've never varied from that. And these have known that. These apostles of mine. The world hasn't, but I've known thee and these have known that thou hast sent me. They see you. They see you in me and they see that I'm on a divine mission from heaven. I've known thee. You know, we could go so many other places, and those places you're already familiar with. Psalm 14, that Nathan presented a few weeks ago. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that didn't understand and seek God. There was not one. No, not one that sought after God or understood that they were dealing with the creator of the universe. But Jesus did. Jesus was constantly about his father's business. Jesus was very conscious of, perfectly, infinitely conscious of it. It's called the impeccability of Jesus Christ. He wasn't even capable of sinning. He was so committed to the knowledge of God and of God's laws for his life. If you know the father, it's because Jesus Christ has revealed him to you. Matthew chapter 11 tells us that. Remember the purpose of eternal life. The purpose, goal, and end of eternal life is in verse 3, and this is life eternal that they might know thee. Do you know how important this is? This is why we get together to remind each other that we know God and we know his son. And that God loves his son and that God loves us. And that God sent his son in love to pay the adoption price for us to be his sons so that we can be adopted and all be together as the happy family of God for eternity. 
Yes, let's go. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. If we know God, and we love him, and if we know Jesus Christ, and we love him, it's because we're saved. It's because we're saved because he wants us to know him. He wants to show himself to us. He wants to reveal himself to us, and he wants to show off his son to us. And he wants to glorify his son in front of us to know the real Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what it's like in heaven for them to know that Jesus is in a manger, Jesus is on a crucifix, or Jesus is knocking at a door on earth, and there's only a few of us left that know him as he is? He's not in either one of he's not in any one of those three places. He's on the throne of glory, Amen. and he's coming on a white horse. Amen. If you're going to wear Jesus around your neck, wear him on a white horse. Don't wear him at all. But uh, unbelievable what the world's done. They don't know. They don't know God. They don't know His Son Jesus Christ. Yet I have set my King upon my holy hill of Zion. Declare the decree. This is my Son. Do you, have I have I done anything today to help you appreciate those words? Yeah. This is my son. Amen. I'm just his I'm just his ambassador. I wish I could bray a little better. I wish I was a better ass and bray for you. This is my son. Because the the universe is going to hear that ringing. It's going to ring from one end of the universe to the other. You see, I didn't know it had an end. That's an expression. Lord, help us. Back to John 17 and verse 25. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. Righteous Father? You're righteous, right, Father? That's not... O righteous Father? The world doesn't know you, but I've known you, and these have known you. Does that justify my prayer being heard for them. Does it make any sense to you? Yes. Does it sound like Abraham? Right. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? O righteous Father, the world hasn't known you, but these men have known you, and I've known you. These men know that you sent me. These men are on our side. These men see the glory of you sending me by a virgin birth into this world. These men see it and know it that you're in me and with me and have empowered me for the ministry that they've been witness to firsthand for three and a half years. Oh, righteous Father, will you hear the five petitions that I've laid before you? Oh, righteous Father, these men are different. These men are out of this world. I've chosen them out of this world. You've chosen them out of this world. These men are yours. All yours are mine. All mine are yours. Remember the things that have been said in this prayer? He's just wrapping it up. This is his amen. amen. This is him closing it up. He's had his request. There's no request in verse 25 except an appeal to the righteousness of God to remember that he and these men are different and they deserve God's mercy and help and blessing in the five ways that have been prayed. And Jesus gets everything he prays for, especially when he prays at a time like this, in a manner like this, we shall be with the Lord. First Thessalonians 4.17 And we shall be with the Lord forever. Somebody that had that verse quote it. 1 Timothy 4.17. It's a wonderful verse. And so we shall be forever with the Lord. Because of John 17.24. And now he's reasoning with the Father. O righteous Father, hear those requests. O righteous Father, 
These men are different. I'm different. We're not part of this world. Fulfill these things that I've asked for us to be unified, for protection from this world, for sanctification that will be pure and holy and different from this world, and that all the believers that are going to come will be unified together in one, in us, like we're unified, and in love unified, and for them all to be in heaven with me so that they can see my glory, because I know that you've loved me from before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, I hope I've conveyed it. Verse 26. There's so many, there's more things that could be said, but uh, enough has been said. Verse 26, last verse. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. And that's the end. He beseeches the Father to remember love. Love. I have declared unto them thy name. Father, I have told these 11 everything about you. I have taught them about you, and I'm going to teach them more about you when I have the Holy Spirit. I've shared every good thing about you that I possibly can. Every good thing in me is from you. Every good thing I've taught is your doctrine. Every good work I've done, you work through me. I've taught them all those things. Holy Father, righteous Father is the one last said. I've declared to them thy name and will declare it. I've taught them, and when I am risen from the dead, I'll teach them again for 40 days. And after the day of Pentecost, I'll teach them by the Holy Spirit. I will bring all things to their remembrance, and everything I know about you I will convey to them. So we have writings following John that are different than John in the theology that is expressed by the Apostle Paul's pen as he describes the glory of God, the events in eternity past, of foreknowledge and predestination and choosing in Christ and the potter and the clay, making vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor and all of that, Jesus taught the apostles. And he, and he told them, his last words to them were, go and, go and teach in all nations, teaching, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so Jesus here is appealing to that fact in verse 26. I have declared unto them thy name, righteous Father, and will declare it. Every opportunity I have, I will declare it. And you know, he declared it so well in the upper room after his resurrection that Thomas said, My Lord and my God. And I will declare it, and he did it by the Holy Spirit, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Righteous Father, as I close up this prayer with my five requests for them and those believers that shall believe on me because of their word, I have told them all about you, O righteous Father, and I will tell them more about you, O righteous Father, that the love that you have loved me will be in them and I in them. This prayer, as I close it, is based on your love of me and your love of them, and I'm going to be in them, and I am committed to them. Will you hear me? It's not written there, but it's understood by these words. O righteous Father, will you hear me? The world doesn't know you. These know you. I know you. 
these know that I came from you and I'm going to tell them all. I have told them all about you. I'm going to tell them more about you because in the last part of verse 26, that the love, this is my goal, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me, your love, this is an intercessor of the highest magnitude. This is an how many of you have read Philemon in the last couple of years? Do you know that Philemon is the greatest, it's a single chapter, one little tiny epistle. It is the Apostle Paul writing a rich man named Philemon to have mercy on a runaway slave. Because that runaway slave has been converted. In that little epistle, there, is, there has never been such a collection of emotional and logical reasons given by Paul as to why Philemon should forgive his runaway slave. And when you go read it, it is touching. You will laugh if you read that little book for its purpose. Why is it in the Bible? It is showing an intercessor. Runaway slave, slave owner. In the middle, the Apostle Paul. And he appeals by all sorts... I'm, the, I'm old and decrepit. I'm about to go the way of all flesh. Do you think you could grant me a last request? You know how much you owe me for all that I've done for you in converting you and your family. Just on and on. Can I do one better than that? John 17 and verse 26. Do you know how it's ending up? Do you see it? Do you see how it ends up? That the love wherewith thou hast loved me implied, Father, do you love me? Father, do you love me? That's going to turn the universe inside out. That is not how it's worded here. You're supposed to understand the sense of it. What does it mean when Jesus said, I've declared your name to these 11. I've told them about you, and I'm going to tell them more about you, that the love that you have for me I'm assuming that love that you have for me may be in them and I in them. I'm committed to them and I'm telling them about you, how much love you have for me and how much love you have for them. I trust that you'll be able to handle these five requests that I've laid before you today. In verse 18, in chapter 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. That's the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus Christ is praying for us today. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. In verse, verse 24, you can see the request. Verse 21, you can see the request. Verse 25, there isn't one. There's an appeal to the righteous Father and how these 11 and he are different. And in verse 26, it's the love that the Father has for Jesus Christ and for us and Jesus has committed himself to be in them, and he's committed himself to them. If you love me, you will take care of these that are mine. And so ends the prayer. And you know the next prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ is totally different. He sweat as it were great drops of blood as he wrestled with the Father about the Father's will of going to that crucifixion. But here, when he's dealing for us, it's all about, it's all about our blessings. It's all about requests for us. In my lifetime, I'll probably never pass the way of John 14 through 17 again with anybody. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Yes. I trust that you'll embrace it, that you'll go back and read these chapters. Listen, 
John 14, 1. The four chapters start. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that... What? Say that again. Where I am? I didn't hear you. Where I am? I didn't hear you. Where I am? There ye may be also. Do you know why I'm stressing those words, where I am? John 17, 24, the last prayer request he uttered that we have recorded, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.